Welcome to the Yeshiva Shalmaila. This is David Lichtenstein. This week we're going to be speaking about kashras of the home food establishment. You manufacture cookies, you sell them, you bake cakes for local simchas, and you do it out of your home. You're trying to supplement your income. Do you or don't you need a hechsher? I remember when I was a bachar or younger man, I learned in Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. So the younger light there were paid pennies. So there was a younger man, his wife was a very good baker. She used to bake brownies. And outside the yeshiva, he'd ha- outside the base bedroom, she'd have them like a little stand. And the bachram who was starving for some good American bakery product would pay 50 cents for a brownie. And uh, the younger man made a little bit of parnasa from it. And the bachram had what to eat. Does he? Did he need a hersha? He didn't have one at the time. You sell cakes for the local, you know, and there's a simcha, they know you make the best uh, seven-layer cake, whatever it may be. Do you need a, your home establishment? Need a hersha? That's one question. And in general, we're going to be speaking about, to some of the leading mashgichim in the area, we're going to speak about, how do you know if hersha is a good hersha or a bad hersha? I mean, it comes stamped on a bag. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. There have been many horror stories. Well, how do you know? We're going to have Rav Moshe Elephant, the chief operating officer of the OU, the largest kashras organization in the world. I forgot how many hersherim they give. It's tens of thousands of product. Huge staff, certainly one of the experts in the world on kashras. There was a person who was baking cakes in their home, a very popular person who is 100% a refined person, and they bought a certain ingredient and that was not kosher. It had non-kosher glycerin in it. And they made an assumption, that, which is a very common assumption, what could be wrong with this ingredient? He's going to actually wonder, he says, how do you do give a hechsher at home? I mean, if there's a concept of mirsis that the person has to be afraid, he asks in his interview, he says, people don't think you're going to come barging into the house every night. We then interviewed Rabbi Shloyma Pearl. He's the head of KCL, which gives many, many hechsher room for people who work at home. And he's going to speak about the reason for having it at home. And it's interesting, Rabbi Pearl is going to speak about not so much mirsis, but more about, you know, ignorance. He says, what happens if you're using products that you don't know that they're, you know, that they're kosher? He's going to say somebody was using beef protein that wasn't kosher. I actually spoke to um, somebody who had, for many years, the KCL hasher, and they said that KCL came once a year. And I asked them, I said, do you think once a year were you frightened? And they said, no, absolutely not. Um, they, but, but they trusted us, which goes back to Eidecha Neman Bisurim, then we're going to have from Brooklyn, Rabbi Baruch Steinfeld. He was the head of the Flatbush Kashrus organization that oversaw the Simchas in Kashrus, etc. Two very fascinating opinions. In one of my places that we used to give Ashkacha to was a store with multiple products. They ordered stuff and they sold it. And we would give Ashkacha, not for every particular product, but we'd make sure that every product is under Ashkacha. And if it's if it's a part of product, we would make sure that's an all part of plant, unless we made sure that Ashkocha had a Mashgiach Kashring. We had certain guidelines set up. This owner was a Chassid Shiyid, El Chiyid, as far as I know, and I would still consider him an El Chiyid. He would uh, call me up sometimes and say, this is product, could you do the research for me, can I sell it in the store or not? I was once in the store with him straight there, this is why I'm saying this was in front of my eyes, and... He asks me, I want you to find out about this product. But before you find out about this product, he opens up the package, he takes a bite out of it, and says, you know what? I'm not going to sell this in my store. This doesn't have good quality. But he ate it. So I asked him, Ravid, what's the shot? You ate this. You, you realize um, this could be paspalta, this could be cholstam. You ate this. He says, in my house, I would never bring any of this stuff in. I want my kids, Enikoch, to be Yireim um, Hashem. This is business. I can't sell a product that's no good. I have to taste every product. Before we go to our guests, I'd like to go through a few of the voicemails we had. So 
We spoke about two weeks ago about the mitzvah tans, and our question was that the Shulchan Aruch and Simon Chafalov of Cotton Hay says that we'd, we don't embrace in public, you don't see uh, orthodox couples from a couples doing dvarim shalchiba barabim, and it's based on a Gemara and Baba Basford, a Gemara says Rav Bano, who went to the Maris Pela, and Avram Avinu, uh, his, wife, his, his wife was combing his hair, so he said he's allowed to do it even if Rav Bano is there. Why? Because in the Olam HaEmes, there's no Yetzahara. So then Muki Yosef says, you see, it would seem from this, that if you're not in the Olam HaEmes, there is a Yetzahara, and it creates a Yetzahara for onlookers, bystanders to see it, and therefore we don't do Dvarim Sholchiba Barabim. So we asked, or rather one of our guests asked, how could the Chassan and Kala dance together by the Mitzvotans? So we had a few chesidish in the light who responded, and here's one of them. Berberus Meisel was Rav and Lodge. He had an Adam, a son-in-law, that was a chosid. And Friday night, when he came to L'chadoidi, he was clapping with his hands. His shver had a question to him. How can he clap with his hands if he says, they are not allowed? So his Adam said him a marvelous tarot. He said him like this. You know, when you do a mitzvah, it's courageous to do another mitzvah. The same as the opposite, when you do an avera, it's courageous to do another avera. One avera brings to do another avera. I want to see, after I see them clap with their hands, what avera do they do next? How will the davenin look, how does the davenin look afterwards? They do more and more mitzvahs afterwards, so it's not an avera. The same thing could be with Benageya, dancing chas and kala. I want to see, does chas and kala do an avera afterwards? What do they do afterwards? They do one of the biggest mitzvahs that says in the Torah. They're doing a thing of pity Rebbe. They're doing the, the biggest mitzvah that could happen for a couple. What it says, like the first mitzvah says, even as I said already in Pash Beratius. So you're going to say that this goes against Talocha? This will be an Avera? So wait, where's the next Avera? I want to see it. It doesn't happen. Why? Elamite's a mitzvah. It doesn't shnim with That's your problem, not ours. Now this is an interesting argument, but... Look, this is a Tyra program. We want to talk in learning. So I would tell this younger man, look, just this week's parsha, we have Anoichi Hashem Aleikecha, Aleihim Not a lot about to it Salem, right? And for thousands of years, Jews have died Al Kiddush Hashem, not to bow to it Salem during the Inquisition. It says they killed themselves for this, right? They killed their children, Rahman Lutzvan. Now, you don't say, Look, let's bow to the Salem, get past this bad moment, and then we'll all go back to yeshiva and we'll learn basmud. I mean, it's much better. We'll be able to stay alive and be serve Hashem. So there's a mitzvah coming afterwards. If there's a mitzvah coming afterwards, it must mean that what precedes it is muta. I mean, it's obviously an absurd argument. So we see how logically the concept that whatever you're doing must be muta, must be kasha, because it's followed by a divrei mitzvah or a dvar mitzvah or a life of mitzvahs is not a good argument. Right, that's how I would respond to this younger man. Now here's another younger man. We'll only play a clip of it because the whole thing is in Yiddish. I have to stay in the Now this younger man's argument is, is it's Kabbalah. And since the halacha says we don't do it, but I'll be Kabbalah, we do do it, etc. And therefore, he says very emphatically, if it's Sad, you're allowed it, that's why we do it, because it's Sad, etc. So, Here's how I would answer to this younger man, and I'm going to answer him in English, right? Because that's what our listeners listen. This is an old Shiloh. What happens when Kabbalah has one derech and Halacha has another derech, right? This is not a new Shiloh. If you look as recently as the Mishnah Bura in Simon Chafhais of Cotton Membes, brings the Machlaikis between the Zayar and the uh, the Paiskim, the Gemara and the Paiskim, whether you put on tefillin shalyad, b'amidah b'yeshiva. The Zayar says you do it b'yeshiva, 
and the uh, Paiskim, the Gemara and the Paiskim say you do it by Midah. So the Mishnah already says over there, when there's a Machlekes, the Zayar, and the Gemara, we go after the Gemara. Nobody argues on this. Uh, the, 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 when there's a Machlekes, the Zayar, and the Paiskim, then ready is a, a Nidin. They say, you know, the Zayar is, is greater than the Paiskim. The Paiskim have a din of Rishayim and Achrayim, the Zayar has a din of Chazal, right? So there's a Nidin in the Paiskim. You know, if it's not in the Gemara, then... Do you go after the Paiskim? Do you go after the Zayar? Uh, the, most most of the uh, Paiskim say you go after the Zayar. Now, there's another in if it's not in the, if it's not a Zayar, but it's the very Kabbalah, the Mashal and Arizal. And does that Rizal have it negative the Paiskim? What do you do then? There's all kinds of Shilas. The Rizal Nechshav, like one of the Paiskims, he not Nechshav, one of the Paiskim. But it, it seems that almost everybody holds, where I could see everybody holds, that is, if, if there's a Machlegis in the Gemara and the Kabbalah, everybody says you go after the Gemara. This din is Rav Bano. It's a Gemara in Baba Basra. It's not an Arizal, it's not a Zayar. That what that we don't show Chiba Barabim. So even if there's mitzvah towns, and I don't know with the Makayar, even if it's from Darizal, it's not, it doesn't override a Gemara. Even if it's a Zayar, it doesn't override a Gemara. This is Anginom in Kolapaiskim. When I'm talking about the Kafachayim and Minchas Yitzchak, etc., the Chacham Tzvi, V'cholu, all of them say that. So this is a Mepharishi Gemara. So it'd come back, it's good that it's Alpi Sad, but even if it's Alpi Sad, it can't be Daicha Gemara. So we need a better reason as to why a mitzvah tans would be mutter. And when I say a mitzvah tans, I don't mean when a rebbe is dancing with a gartel or a woman who's with a kalos who's cloaked head to foot. I'm talking about the chassid and kala dancing, you know, hand in hand. Now here's another few phone calls we had. We had a, a lady um, dating coach who said something. She said one of her her worst stories, or her, you know, in dating. So in that case, it was a rav that she went to that she was recommended from her friends to go to. And what did the rav um, say? You're getting engaged, it'll be fine. That was probably the worst dating advice. And, and the reason it was the worst dating advice was because he didn't know her from a hole in the wall till she went to him. And he never even asked to meet the boy or to see them together or asked her any pertinent questions about her relationship. He spent two minutes with her. When you're telling somebody who to marry, it's Dine Nefashis. It's as close to Dine Nefashis as you're going to get is who's your marriage. Now, for Dine Nefashis, you need a Bezdin Sholchav Gimel, and, it, and the Bezdin has to have Drisha V'chakira. So for somebody to say, yeah, you, you don't really like the boy, it's fine, trust me, marry him, without meeting the boy, without... I mean, it, it sounds like paskening, like I was like, Kelachaya Dine Nefashis. It does sound rather strange. But here we have uh, a caller who strongly disagrees. Hello. I was just wondering how you said that that you don't ask a rav any shaylas that are not nigeh because doesn't say he doesn't doesn't say it in the shochanach. I was just out shocked. Face tripping. A munis chacham goes by everything. A munis chacham has a chacham know by everything. Hashem gave them ruach hakodesh and they know by everything. You can't just say oh they don't know by shidduchim. Chutzah and you are pushed to call yourself you face tripping. That is pushah. So this gentleman was very opposed, and he seems to hold that it's like Ruach HaKadosh that his Rav had, and it's a getter of Nevius uh, of sorts, and therefore we, she had no right to talk disparagingly of this opinion. Ironically, like the next day we got a call that's exactly the opposite. Here's somebody who listened, and he really paid the price. When I was about to get engaged, I think I got some very bad advice, and now I'm in a very bad position. I don't know if my marriage is going to last or not, but whether it does or doesn't, you know, I'm saying these are two bad options. As you mentioned on your show, divorce is not just turning back the clock and now you're back single and 22, you know, whatever it is, the person's life is wrecked. 
whether they stay in a bad marriage or whether they get divorced. So I just wanted to say I'm very happy that you raised the weirdness about this kind of thing. Whatever, you know, I wish I would have heard this kind of thing when I was So here's something interesting. When we were talking to uh, this uh, Bella Beer, who is the dating coach, we discussed, you know, what do you do in a situation you're dating and you don't know whether to go ahead or not? So I suggested that, you know, sort of you have to follow your heart in a way. Like, well, what's, you know, it's not what this one says, what that one says. And if you look in the Ruach Hayim, in Ovis, Perig Bey's Mishnah Zayin, Baruch Shekivanti, Himamish says this. He says, on the Mishnah, Marba Eitza, Marba Tzfuna, the more advice you get, the wiser you get. He says, Margale Bepomyudinshi, it's, uh, you know, it's 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 commonly said, it's a common aphorism, Sha'al Eitza, Yeskin Eitza, Vasei Kesichlecha, right? And then do what your Seichel says. He says, Lachura, if you're doing Kesichlecha, if you're following your own intuition, why are you asking the Eitza? So he says, Ach Yuvan Pashat, it's, it's simple. Ishmi Bechutz, an outsider, can't understand all the issues that you have, who you like, who you don't like, what your issues are with your parents. I mean, what goes into the psychology of deciding who you marry? I mean, an Eitzel like this. will understand a little bit. And the second person you ask an Eitzel will understand a little bit. But the Noyetz Bats, by the person who's asking the question, who Maven Legamri, he understands it all. He's missing perspective. He doesn't have that much wisdom. Therefore, when he asks many people of advice, that way he says he'll weigh all these advice against his own intuition. He says, and that's what it means. The more yoyotzim you have, ultimately it'll allow you to make the proper decision. But ultimately, that's the goyin, that's the rachayim in 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 Perkyavis. And if you want to see almost the exact same thing, the goyin in Mishle, he says uchua b'roiv yoyets. It's a mishle uchua b'roiv with 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 b'roiv yoyets. He says, why doesn't it say b'roiv yoyatsim? Frek the goyin should say with many yoyatsim. He says no, it's many yoyatsim. But ultimately, you have to make the decision for yourself. And I would say the same thing about Shadokim. I don't care who the advisor is and who it is. It could be, the, you know, the biggest psychologist, the biggest Rav. Ultimately, you're going to have to live with that person the rest of your life. So you listen and you weigh it. And what is what is the exact vart of the devotion of the Rachaim, Marbetz, Marbetzuna? Sha'al Eitza, V'yasei Kesechacha. This is... Uh, and he doesn't say, ask, ask Godlo, ask a Navi, ask a this, right? Neither the Goyin nor the Rochaim say this. They say, Shal Eitza, from Taka, from who? From a big Rav, from a big Yoyas, from a psychologist, from a dating coach, and then Aseika Sechacha. That's what it would seem to uh, me from to these two calls. Before we go to our Shir, I would like to talk about the Parsha. And we have the Aserasa Dibris this week. And certainly, possibly, the hardest one of the Aserasa Dibris, and everybody has what they think, but generationally, I would argue is Loisachmeid. And why do I say that? We live in a world that advertising, I mean, even Jewish papers, pick your favorite Jewish paper, open it up, it's full of glossies, all the things that you don't have, but if you had it, you would be happier, right? Somebody else has it, they have it, but you don't have it, you would be happy if you had that. That's in the Jewish papers. Now go to the Jewish world. You have Madison Avenue. You have advertising. You have Facebook, which has you know, become almost a trillion-dollar company based solely off of advertising, as does Google, as does Instagram. And today, what's the most rapidly growing of these tech companies, the most valuable, is 
TikTok. TikTok has figured out how to create real jealousy, um, real envy into 30 seconds of watching. Here is somebody who can do something better than you. It could be food. It could be the way they look. It could be the way they dance. TikTok. TikTok as the anti-Loisachmeid, but it's really generational. So Loisachmeid is, we, I think most people recognize that comparison is the thief of joy. If you really want to be unhappy, no matter who you are, compare yourself to others. I remember years ago, I was in the office of one of the wealthiest men in the world. I was starting off in business. I brought him a, an opportunity and he had in front of his desk a huge screen. It was here in New York. He was watching business news and a competitor of his who was much more successful came onto the screen and he had a box of tissues in front of him, the person I was visiting, and he picked it up and he threw it violently at the screen. Because what does it mean? Competition is the envy of happiness, is the envy of joy. Well, we said it, but how do you do it? Like the terrorist says, don't be envious of your friend's business, his house, his wife, his children, you name it. But how do you, how do we get to Lois Ahmed? So what do, what do our, you know, Bali Machshava say? There's a word that says, no, it's cipher b'tchilasai. You know, Bereshis is the first mimer, and the last mimer is Nasa Adam. Right, Saif Masa Mashavatil, the end of it all was for the Nasa Adam. The Sarah Sadibras, it starts with Anoichi Hashem Lekecha. It ends with Leisachmeid. But it seems there's something in common with the Leisachmeid and the Neichi Hashem Leikecha. And I would say it as such, and I'm gathering from many years of, you know, learning. I would say that Anoichi Hashem Leikecha says, the Rabbani Shalom's Haya Haiva Viya Echad Yachid Miyuchad. He's one. I created, Rabbani Shalom says, I created heaven and earth. I took you out of Mitzrayim. I am the first. Ani Rishayin Vani Achrayin. The last one is Leisachmeid. And what is Leisachmeid? Leisachmeid is not that dissimilar. Bishvili, what does what does the Gemara say? Every person is Chayav Leimer. Bishvili never Eilam. The world was created because of me. I am the one. I am a one-time event that will never be repeated. You know, this is the famous Reb Tzadik and Sitka Tzadik says it very clearly. He says, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me. Kemoi Shechayev Adam Lahamin Bakadish Baruch, who just as a person has to believe in their Kaviachal, Cain Sarach Lahamin Batsma, he has to believe in himself that he was brought here for a purpose, his own purpose, his individual purpose. Nobody else has his mission. So, what is it? A Sarasa did start with believe in Kaviachal, like Sachmed is believe in yourself, believe in your, believe in you. You, you, your mission, and on the Pasig, Vayivaser Yaakov Levadai, Vayivaser Yaakov Levadai, Vayayavek Ishimai. What does Chazal say? On the Pasig, it says, just like Vayivaser Yaakov Levadai, Veniskev Levadai, Beyemahu, and Kaviyachal, that just like Kaviyachal was Levadai, Yaakov is Levadai. That he reached the darga of Bishvi Nivrailam. Now, it says, Yaakov said to Esav, Yeshli Koil. I have everything. Whatever I need, I have. If I don't have it, it's probably because I don't need it. And what does it say right afterwards? But Yaakov reached a position where he realized, whatever I have, whatever I need, I have. I have my mission. I am Levad. I'm not interested in anybody else's mission. I'm only interested. I'm, I'm Levad. And when a person reaches that Madreka, Yeshli Koyal, what does it say? He leaves Esav. What does Esav mean? Esav is the Satan, Esav is the Sahari, Esav is the Al-Mala, everything else. When a person could say, Yeshli Koyal, I have what I need, then he could go, right? When he says, Vayivasar Yaakov Levadeh, then it says, Vayelach Yaakov he leaves Esav behind. When a person says, Yeshli Koyal, it can up Chepin from Esav, from all, all these...
Years ago, I had a story. That I heard a story. It was a yeet. His name was Rebinyamin Oizer. He wrote the Evan Oizer on Shulchan Aruch. Right? He lived in the late mid-1600s. Basically, he was the Torah too before the Baal Shem. Baal Shem was probably 10 years old or 12 years old when the Evan Oizer died. And he lived in a tiny town in Poland. I looked it up on on Google Maps. I don't think it's big enough for a gas station. You know, it's like, and he, he was the rub of the town, and he obviously lived in, in great poverty or in simplicity. So, but he wrote Shuvah, so he wrote letters, and they reached Berlin. And Berlin was looking for Rav, and one of the, you know, the, the, one of the, the Kehillah there, they opened it up, a letter of his, and learning, and, they, and the Gedaliah Kehillah decided this was going to be our Rav. And they traveled, it was like 400 miles, must have been quite a while, a week of travel to get to his town. And it was called Clementov, little tiny village in, in Poland. And they come to his town, this little village without the gas station, and they ask where he lives, and they point out this, uh, and they go to his town, and they knock on this little hovel, and they come in, and he welcomes them, and it's three of the Rashi Hakol of Berlin. This is the largest community in Germany, which was, at that time, had more Eden than Poland, right, just the mid-1600s. And um, they unfurl this huge proclamation signed by the whole Kehillah, inviting him to be Rav, and he listens. And they say the story says this is how he responded. He looked at them and he said, look, I live here. I'm the Rav of this little tiny town, and I have two goats in my backyard. One of them, we get milk and cheese. And the other one, my wife milks, and she sells it, and we have bread and a little chicken for Shabbos. He says, if I had a third goat, it would already be, I would be in Eilam Haba. He says, you're showing me this beautiful home I'm going to have in Berlin and, uh, and the tzibur that I'm going to be and the shiurim that I'm going to give and the giant shul. And he says, I could just see all the tumul and the machlekes I'm going to have to be involved with and making psharis between balabatim and community matters and overseeing Hashem. He says, I have everything. Why would I even want that? And he very politely told them no. And they made their 400-mile journey back then home. But... The man with the two goats said, Yeshli Kyle. He, he didn't want to compare himself to anybody or to anything. He had true Amuna that he found his mission. I know my mission. So what am I saying? I want to say something a little, I agree it's a little bit radical. If Rabbi is right, Chai of Adam Lahamin, and we're saying the first of the Sarah said there was his belief in the Rabbi Nishalim, Echad Yachad Yuchad. And the next one is, but the Adam, at the end of it, not Saifir Bitchilasai, it's it's Leisachmoid, you are a one-time event, and whatever your mission is, you know, the Rabbi Nishalim knows, it's not meant to be compared to anything else. So just like a person, Chas Vishalim, no from a Jew would walk into a church. I would suggest that going on to TikTok or Instagram or Facebook to see how they are doing, not how I'm doing, but how the others, and comparing my tsura to somebody else's, because I'm not, I, my mission is my mission, and I am not supposed to be comparing it. That's yours, and this is mine. So going on to TikTok or Instagram for the purposes of comparison, seeing how they're doing, it's a little bit like going to church. It's being kaifer in the yechidas that you are, or that I am. Somebody told me that a, a cheetah, when it's chasing its prey, can go up to 80 miles an hour. It's the fastest creature in the world. But it expends so much energy that if it misses two or three times, it dies because it burns up so much energy. It doesn't have the kayak to do that chase a third time. So when you see a cheetah chasing its prey, you could see the focus that it has. It has to catch it. It's not thinking about, does he think my 
my my capata looks good or my jacket looks good or my shirt is wide enough or my and or if it's a she d- d- does my dress look right do you think that she is thinking about that when it's doing it's it's two or three time it's if it misses its eyes or that intensity we have our mission comparison steals joy but even more than joy it's a tumult us and it contaminates who we're supposed to be and what our mission is supposed to be it's like the the yechidus in me is now going to church. And I think that's the answer to Leisach made. We all recognize how damaging it is, and you know what the answer is? I am me, I have my mission. It's a one of a type mission. The Missile Sasharim all the way at the end of the Sefer says, in your mission, you could be the simple tailor, size 44 long or size 46 long. And he says, that mission is just as big as my Rabbeinu's. That's what he writes at the end of the Missile Sasharim. It's the belief in our mission, just like we believe in Anechi Hashem Alekecha. We believe, Chayiv Adam Lahamin if we believed I have my mission and I'm disinterested, I don't care about the other one, at that point, it becomes, it becomes a reality, it becomes easy, and it becomes something that we can actually accomplish. Is it difficult? Absolutely. is also difficult. So here's a very short clip, a small interview, extremely inspiring, uplifting. A young girl, Rivka Shatkin, paralyzed uh, a year ago in an accident, running, or rather wheelchairing the uh, High Lifeline Marathon, and listen to how she says how life is so beautiful. And you listen to this and you hear the cheering and her crossing the finish line. And, and you hear that and you say, wow, this is inspiring. After a bad ski accident in 2021, NBC6's Victor Jorges is in Aventura with what this triumph means to her. This is a moment Rivka Shotkin had only dreamt of. While you're doing the marathon, it feels like it's never going to end. And then by crossing, it's like, oh my God, I did it. Now she hopes to inspire others to live life a little differently. We all like walk around like it's just uh, like so difficult or something. Like it's not a gift to be here. Um, and I think you, you should open your eyes a little bit, see how beautiful life is. Joining us from Passaic, New Jersey, is Rizka Shotkin, who just completed the Miami Marathon. It was spectacular. It made it onto national news. A real hero. Welcome, Rizka. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us your story about the Miami Marathon and how you got there and how exciting it was and what an accomplishment it was. Tell us the story. Um, okay, so it started when two years ago I was in a skiing accident that left me paralyzed. Um, and this past summer, I went to Camp Simcha, which is a camp for kids with disabilities and injuries and that sort of thing. And I was sitting in my bunkhouse and my friend came in and she said, let's do the Miami Marathon. I didn't know a thing about it, um, but I was like, you know, let's do it. It's a good way to give back to High Lifeline, who helped my family a lot. So we signed up the next day um, and it just, I don't know, that's kind of how it started, how, yeah. So to, so to do 13, it's 13 miles in a wheelchair rolling. Like, how do you build up arm strength to that? So it's my arms, like, just inevitably got stronger because they work as my legs now. So everything I do is with my arms. So I got really strong just because of that, because of the way I live. Um, I didn't really get to train, so I don't know how I did it. I think it was really my friends and the people there, like, cheering each other on. It really, it gives you this boost and you don't want to stop. Um, yeah, I, I don't know 
how I did it. So uh, was there a point in the, like, that you were just exhausted in the marathon? It was more, I started exhausted, and then as I kept going, I more so wanted to prove to myself what I was capable of. Like, I didn't want to stop, because it was like, just do one more push, and every one more push, I would get farther, and it just kept going till I finished. So what is your completion? What did it prove to yourself, and what could we learn from it? It proved to me that I shouldn't create limits for myself. Like, I shouldn't decide that I can't do it because it hurts or because it's hard. Because as soon as you, like, realize it's not going to last forever, when you finish it, it's the satisfaction is going to be so great that I just, I didn't want to stop. I didn't want to have that limited mindset that, oh, I can only do a certain amount because it might hurt. That was just the, yeah. And, and what can we learn from it? What should we all learn from your completing it? Um, I think that you're really capable of so much. I think we all, it's almost subconscious. We decide we can't do something. And I think you, you have to more think about things and think, you know, I, I can do it if I really want to. Why am I stopping myself? Why am I creating this mindset or mentality that I can't do it? That's fantastic. And when you were interviewed, I heard you spoke about how beautiful life is and how much you're enjoying life. Tell us about that. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know where to start. Um, I think lots of people just, they just don't realize what a gift it is to be here because life is so, so rare. And I think for most of us, we go by half our lives or maybe our whole lives just not realizing. Like to us, everything is so difficult and hard. Um, but we forget to look at like the little things, the simple things. I've lost a lot of like the simple joys and pleasures of life that many people get to experience daily. But to them, it's like a burden, like walking up the steps. I watch people walk up the steps. To them, it's a burden. But to me, I just, I want to get up and walk up the steps. So I think just appreciating everything that you have um, and that can so easily be taken away from you um, as soon as you realize like what what you have, life becomes so much more beautiful. Rivka, that was thank you very much for sharing your time with us. You're very welcome. Yeah, bye-bye. Let's go to our riddles of the week. Here's our first riddle of the week. Reb Itzel Aponavisha was a Talmud of the Beis HaLevi. He was a Talmud of the Gadol from Minsk, lived at the end of the 1800s, mid-end of the 1800s. He was uh, a Chavrusa of Reb Chaim Salabechik for a few years as a young man, right? So in his Zecher Yitzchak, a Gainish Yosefer, which was, he was also a Shiv in Slobodka. He was really one of the great G'daylam and Gainim of his era. He asks the famous Shiloh. He says, a gear that comes to be Megayer, and he's a Chayla that he cannot do Mila. Could he be misguided just with tefillah alone? Whereas the crux of this shaila is, do you say he's an oinus and an oinus is pater? Or do you say an oinus is lav kemanda of it? He could be an oinus, but he still doesn't have the mila and you need the requirements. It's like if somebody's an oinus and they can't get a driver's license. So you say, well, since he's an oinus, let him drive without the license. So do you say, look, we feel bad that he's an oinus, but he still doesn't have the license. He's, that's the barely the hakira of Rebetzalah. And he goes back and forth with Rias. Now, a question on Rabitzala is, and this is a very well-known Shaila, the Gemara says here, Rab says, that Yisra, who comes before Matantaira, was is the first gear. He's Mal'at Smaila Hiskayer. He'd committed Midla, performed Mila to be Megayer. 
the Shaila is, the Gemara says in Yavamis that the 40 years that Kal Yisrael was in the Midbar, they didn't mal themselves. Why? Because of Chulshad Urcha, or because there was no Rachtsfeinus, because it was a Sakhanus Nefashis, and they didn't mal themselves, which would mean that Yisrael should be Potter. And yet you see that he had to be mal himself to be able to be Megayer. He had to enter in. So how could the Zecher Yitzchak Kler, somebody who's a Sakhanist, a Ger who can mal himself, because it's a Sakhanist Nafashis, should be Pater from Mila? Why? Because Mila, if you don't have it, the Tzvil alone is good. You see from Yisrael that the Tzvil alone wasn't good. Yisrael was in that exact position, and yet he was required Mila, because you see, Mila, it's true you're an Oynus, but Oynus is love commander of it, and you still don't have the, the Mila. That is our Kasha on Rebetzala, on the Vesha, Havrusa, Reb Chaim, Rashiva, Slobodka, great guardian of his era. Here's another fabulous riddle, and this riddle was from, is it, Yankiv Kamenetsky brings it down to Shaila, and he brings it in the Emes Liyakev in Zvachim, and it's Kashu that he heard from Reb David Rappaport, who wrote the Migdash David, the Tzemach David. He died with, in the, he died, Hashem Yakum Damai, in World War II. He died without children. All we have left is his Taira. So, we'll see over the Kasha. He's Reb Yankiv says that while they learned together in Koil and Kovna, by the way, the Migdash David, you may not know, was also Rosh Hashiva in Baranovich, together with Rabbi Hanan. So he says, while we would learn together in the Kel Kovner of Yankiv says, he asked me a kasha. What was the kasha? Rashi says, here in the parsha, Mizbeach Adama Tasali. So Rashi says, Mizbeach Adama Mechubur Ba'adama has to be attached to the earth. You can't be built loyal gabe amudim on poles, loyal gabe kipim, not in type of like tunnels, has to be exact, anchored into the earth. What's he saying? The Gemara says in Para that Harabayis Vazara, they had like a, a, a hollow beneath them because of Kaver Hatahim. They didn't want any Tumah to be Ayla. So they made a hefsik with a with a, a hollow that was a Tefach. So it seems from Mizbeach Adam Atasali Rashi saying that the Mizbeach was not built Al Gabe Kippim, but what? It was built directly Al Gabe Hadama. By the way, the Rambam Taka says that the, the whole Harabayis was had a hole Tachtav. Rashi saying, excluding the Hadama. Frak the Megdash David, that the, the Gemara says, in Zvacham and Afsamach Beis, Rabbi Leza ben Yankov says, Gimel Nevi'im, three Nevi'im they brought up from the Gaila. When Ezra came from, from, uh, from Bavel, he brought three Nevi'im. Why? To, to be able to testify where is to be able to snap and where is the Makim HaMezbeach. The Makim HaMezbeach here, do what Ram says, Medugdik Ma'oid Ma'oid, had to be very exact. They had to know where the Mezbeach is. What was the problem? According to Rashi, the entire Azara was built al Gabe Kippim. The only place that's not built al Gabe Kippim was the Makam Hamizbeach, because it's Bechubr Ladama. Look for the place in Azara that has no Kippim. That's where you would make the Mizbeach. What do you need to Gimel Nevi'im? This is the Kasha that the Migdash David, Yestrobiankif Kamenetsky, Zehat Sadikim Levracha, in the Kavna Kailal. Those are our two riddles. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's uh, 02-372-0304. Let's go to our guests.
Joining us from New York is Reb Moshe Elephant. He's the uh, Chief Operating Officer of OU Kosher, largest kosher organization in the world. He also says one of the largest Afyemi Shirim in the world, and uh, online that is. He also is the Rav of Kal Zechon Yosef. Welcome, Reb Moshe. Shalom Aleichem. Reb Moshe, came out re- recently, well, it wasn't that recent, um, about uh, home establishments. Uh, people who make products at home and sell them. And it says they absolutely need a hechsher. Can you walk us through your opinion about that? I, th- I think that it's a very critical and important and statement. And that's, it's a very complicated because, of course, we know that we're dealing with people's panasa. There are people who make a living from baking or other products that they prepare at home. And if they don't have a hechsher, obviously people will not buy their products. And that's not something we take lightly, people's panasa. But kashras, as far as kashras is concerned, giving hashgacha on a product that's manufactured in someone's home is something that I can't see how it could be done. The basis of kashras is mirsis. The basis of kashras is that why don't we need to have the OU certifies 14,000 facilities around the world? We don't have a mashgiach in every facility. Why is that not halakhically required? And the answer is because we could walk in contractually, we could walk into any facility at any time, day or night, as long as they're open, they have to let us in. And that creates a mirsis. However, you can't walk into somebody's private home any time, day or night. That's one very big halachic issue. The second issue is a practical issue. A factory, by definition and by nature, is a place that knows that they need to produce X amount of chocolate chip cookies. To manufacture chocolate chip cookies, you need flour, you need sugar, you need chocolate chips, whatever you need, and you have it prepared. And if you run out, you can't just run down to the grocery down the block and buy some oil because you're not buying one or two jugs of oil. You're buying oil in the, in the major, in totes, hundreds of gallons. That you can't get in your, cro- your corner grocery store. But when you're giving, when you're making product in your own home, there, you're not, even if you're Baruch successful, you're not using that volume of ingredient. And if you run out of ingredient, or as people who are in that business tell me, they get calls that Baruch Shem, somebody had a simcha, is having a simcha, and they get calls Friday afternoon, we're making a kiddush, and we need to order cake or whatever, or caterers for the same matter. I recently met a caterer who told me the strength of his business is that he's able to prepare a simcha in the last minute. And he could get a call Friday afternoon that I want to make a kiddush tomorrow, and he will have a kiddush for you. That's fantastic for him, maybe for his business, but from a cautious perspective, that's a potential catastrophe because where is he going to get all of those ingredients on such short order on a short Friday? Those are my two main issues. Okay, so let me... Let me, let's debate this, okay? The Shulchan Aruch sure. Kofiyot test says that if somebody's a muhsik bekashras, he could have a store, right? And the Ravid says, the Vesheser the, 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 the says, you don't even have to be a muhsik bekashras, but you're not a chashid on kashras, you could buy from the person. So this is clearly not Vesheser, Ramach, Shach, etc., right? So, yeah, but you're also I'm certainly well aware of the Takana Dvar Abba Harotzis that says that even if you're a muhsik bekashras, or as you correctly point out, the Beis Yosef is even more lenient. As long as you're not a chashid, the Varaba Rotsis already came out with a takana that anybody who owns a business needs a hechshid.
kasher. And the reason for it is that you are muksa b'kasherus, but there are nisyonis. And that's why they made that takana hundreds of years ago, that everybody needs a heksher, even though the shokhanar and the shach and the taz, as you correctly indicate, say, that if you're muksa b'kasherus. And that's why if you, if that very same person who I don't want to give a heksher to invited me to their home for dinner tonight, and they're reliable people, the muksa b'kasherus, eidechonem I would be allowed to eat. And I would eat, but just because I'll eat in your house doesn't mean I'm going to give you a hechsher. Well, so the, so, so the question is, was the Vadar Baratis, the scabble everywhere? I mean, absolutely. It's, it's, you say I absolutely. Anyone, I haven't seen anyone who uh, said I, that. I, I have, I have, I have, I'll give you, okay, I'll give you a few more, Um For starters, Rechaim Kinevsky and Asifas Yitzchak Chafel Tavshin Samachayin were saying, says the Darke Chuva brings the Takanas Arva Arba Ratas, right? Can do you or don't you? Chuva Haminig the Bemuchse Kainim. Not like okay. the not like the Darke Chuva. I'm not gonna but the Rabavigdan Evansol and Asifa Sitzhak Dina same Shaila, he says Lanier's deity mutter. That was wasn't a scabble. Right? Okay. Um, I know, the, as far as I know, it was Moscabo. And I have to tell you, not that I am chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom, to want to dispute not Rav Chaim Kenevsky and L'chav Dubai Chaim L'chaim, Rav Nevensal Shlita, but I could tell you, you know, one of, one of the complicated issues in Kashrus is that people try to differentiate between Shemri Torah Mitzvahs and individuals who are not Shemri Torah Mitzvahs based on what you're saying. But we've had enough situations with people who are a and B. The wait, 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 wait! But slowly, slowly, but but but, but respectfully, Rabbi Elson, we've had situations where with Hechsherim, you've had disasters. Does that mean we shouldn't lock our car because even locked cars have been broken into? But that's not the point. The point is, the point is that no, no, no. You're saying the point of the Hechsher is to do the best we can. Does a Hechsher guarantee that nothing will ever happen? So then I ask you, I don't disagree with you. The Heksha doesn't guarantee anything, but it certainly helps. If your car is locked, does that guarantee that it won't be broken into? Of course it doesn't guarantee. But if there's two cars parked next to each other, and one is open, and one is locked, which is the car that's more likely, and they're both the same model that whoever's looking for it is going for it, which is the car that's more likely going to be broken into? So my question to you is, if you're correct, why wasn't the Gemara, the Rambam, the Beis Yasef, the Ramah, the Shach, or the Taz come up with your solution? I, first of all, there is a concept of Hashkocha that's not new in the world. So, and the world was a different world. We didn't have ingredients that were coming from China. When I came to the OU 35 years ago, so we're not talking about the time of the Gemara and the time of the Rambam, we're talking in our lifetime, ingredients were primarily sourced locally. It was a whole new world. The world changed, and the, and the, and the issue of non-kosher ingredients, there weren't the kind of factories that are refining kosher oil and non-kosher oil Great on the point. same equipment. Great point. So my question to you then is, since ingredients are so complicated and they're sourcing a kosher and non-kosher in the same factory, can you eat by your friend's house or not, given that ingredients are so complicated? So you have to know what are your friend's standards. Something. If your friend is a Muslim Pekashos, can you eat in his house or not? Yes, because they're, they're, So can that same person then... Like, you don't right. have to ask about your friend, you can ask about your own house. How Agreed. How are you home tonight? Agreed. Because you trust your wife, and she, you've told and she's her what buying, your expectations... And she's buying... And you've, right. you've given her your expectations, and she right. tells your expectations. Exactly. So she's buying the ingredients that you would accept. 
So right. based on that, can I then buy from that person, not even no. though there's oils because that I made in two different sources, because, because, because that because person will buy the correct, in the my correct wife source. My is not under pressure, and if she wants to make something for dinner tonight, and she doesn't have um, any ingredients, if, if she doesn't have the ingredients that she needs, Either she'll go to the supermarket and find the ingredients with the hashgachas that I'm comfortable with, or she'll make something else for dinner. That's my. We, we don't have to have. Let's say my wife is making a. My wife is making a bas mitzvah, and there's a lot of pressure. Could I eat by the bas mitzvah? Say maybe it's my wife cut standards and bought something trays. It's still not the same as a caterer. Your wife's reputation is not on the line if this dish will or won't be at the bas mitzvah. You know what? If you're preparing. Your wife intended to serve a, okay. and it wasn't available. The caterer who I ordered the dinner from, and I sat and worked on the on the menu, is going to have to provide what I what I made. His panosa, his livelihood well, is on the line. I, I, so I agree with thing. that. Your wife's, your wife's livelihood is not on the line if she doesn't make what she thought she wants to make. Agreed. So then why didn't the Gemara, the Rishayinim, or the Shachamarach make because that color? maybe it was a different world. I told you. It was well, a the different Gemara world. is talking about storekeepers in Syria. You have to assume storekeepers then have the same Nishayinim today. They have to no, keep their shelf stocked. Of course not. Of course okay. not. We're, there was no trade for ingredients so, yet. And the, uh, the, 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 wait, wait. The Gemara says you can't buy from storekeepers in Syria because they're going to substitute trade ingredients, right? <laughs> That's what the Gemara in, in, in Avay Dazara says, right? I, so, I can't so, tell you why a Gemara doesn't say something. I can't. Okay. No, I'm saying the Shulchan I'm just saying I can't that. I answer a negative. I okay. only can answer positive. I can't answer well, why the Gemara didn't say My only point is, is that these cases, the Shulchan Aruch does not require Hesha, and it's the base Hill who brings it in who says it's Tatakadamas Vadha Arbaratis, and the question we're just discussing. Was the Vada Arbarats, is the Skabal in the whole world? Or not? As far That's... as I know, it was the Skabal. Okay. And not that they need my Haskama. Our, our experience is that it, it, it should very much be in the Skabal. Because even when you're a reliable person, there are the shyness. And it's not just the shyness, because I don't want to turn people into being dead, because that's not fair. What, what I really mean to say is that there's also ignorance. So the person goes to the store. I can't, just yesterday, somebody told, sent me an uh, email, and they said they just bought Stellador cookies, and they're sure it's past Yisrael. I said, why are you sure that Stellador cookies are past Yisrael? He says, because I bought them in a store in Bar Park, and a store in Bar Park would not be selling cookies that are not past Yisrael. Right. That, that, that happened yesterday afternoon. So you shouldn't be eating Before that I person's house. Before I program you. So Hello, now, you shouldn't I, be eating by that person's house either then. Uh, of course not. You right. right. okay. shouldn't so be eating in that person's house. The, the, the point is that people, that's the job of Hashgacha, that we do know and they don't know necessarily. So, so, so bottom line is, uh, bottom line is, um, uh, and, and by the way, another Maramakam I'll just sh- share with you. The Oyel Yaakov brings from Rebbe Zriel Ayabach, that young Goliath who sell cake in Yeshiva. Mm-hmm. So he says, he says, he says, if you know, Okay. So let me ask you a question. So you would not buy from. So let me ask you a question. You're in you're in Hong Kong, but one of these Farouk de Makaymas, you're traveling, and there's no kosher food, but the Chabad will send you over suppers for twenty dollars. They do it for a minimum fee, right? Could you eat it or not? Do they have Ashgach or not? They don't, it's in Hong Kong. There's no, her husband is the Mashgiach. No, the, the, the husband is the Mashgiach. I yes. would say no unless you go down to the house and you can be, make yourself comfortable. I would not buy it. I would say I have to go down and make myself comfortable. Otherwise not. Well, I don't know how you would eat it in anybody's house. Huh? All right. So you know what? If you want to do it right, you do it right. 
there are too many shilas of people that, who make assumptions that we afterwards learned that those assumptions were very dire. There was a so, story so, so, so I have a question ago. for you. Yeah. I want to tell you something. Yeah. Years ago, years ago, where uh, before this Kolkhoi came out, and maybe even before anybody contemplated the Kolkhoi where there was a person who was baking cakes in their home, a very popular person who is 100% a refined person, and they bought a certain ingredient and that was not kosher. It had non-kosher glycerin in it. And they made an assumption, that what, which is a very common assumption, what could be wrong with this ingredient? And therefore, what, since they made an assumption, what could be wrong with this ingredient? What was it? You know the ingredient? You know what it was? Yeah, it was, a, it was, a ice, it was a icing on a cake. You saw icing on a cake. They, so made that ice, they assume that icing can't have nothing trace in it? They, yeah, what well, could be icing? A little sugar and color. That okay. was their assumption. So maybe a fair assumption. It could be sugar and color. What's yeah, but, wrong with sugar? But, with? I, I would just say that most housewives, from the housewives, are not buying icing without extra. Okay, but this is not a from a. It was not just a from a housewife. It was actually a from a. It was a, a, a from a housewife that was baking cake not just for her family but for a lot of people else. Look, there's no there's no suffix that that people could make mistakes out of ignorance. But the question then is, the Gemara says, Rashi says, therefore, you're allowed to eat by your own house. So the question is, my wife is, if your wife is ignorant, she, she was not a, st- a stellar student at school, right? Are you allowed to eat at home or not? Because you could make so many mistakes. And the Gemara says, that we, we assume that she's that, that she's, she's doing reasonable things. You told her, you buy with a hechsha, you this or that. And that's the whole, you said, Rashi says, otherwise, Right. So your your point is is that when you're doing it in mass, we should have a different level a different level of comfort. I don't know if the taich of erech nam bisur means since I know that you're from Jew, I keep it in your house. I think erech nam bisur means that I know that you have the standards that are, you have the standards and the knowledge to make me comfortable to be able to eat in your house. Yeah, but I'm just saying, Rashi, 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 Rashi says, watch the Rashi says, watch the Svara that Eidach and Amman Bisarim. Rashi Nivamis. Because if now I'm thinking about Piches, he says, otherwise, Eidach and Amman He says, how would society function if you can't believe right, but people? But Rashi doesn't define, that, nobody's disagreeing that Rashi says that the world needs it to survive. But Rashi doesn't just say, so since you're from, I could eat by you. If you're from and you're Amoritz, I could eat by you? You're from and you're not Maritz and well, you think that Maritz would, ha- would have a, Maritz would have a dinner, a chasher. That's what he would have a dinner, a chasher on, on it because he doesn't know. Okay, so what's the definition of, of Maritz in this subject? What's the defini- in my mind, the definition of Maritz is somebody who's not knowledgeable in what's going on in the world of kashras, somebody who's not knowledgeable which products uh, need a hajgoch. But you product. know, it's, I sp- so I'll tell you something. I spoke to, uh, I spoke to a number of Rabbanim, and they said one of the, even from... Very modern Kreisen or Bali Tshuva Kreisen. And they said that one of the number one questions they get is which Hechshit you could use and which Hechshit you can't use. So the assumption is most from wives know that the OU is a good Hechshit. You know, they know that the, uh, the Star K is a good Hechshit. They know that uh, the Chav K is a good Hechshit, etc., etc. That's the assumption. That's how the assumption how people eat at home too. Absolutely. But, but, but that doesn't mean... So that it goes back to my earlier point. Your wife knows... Which hashgachos are good? Whether it's because you told her, or she knew before she married you, or maybe she told you. That's 
perfectly fine. But your wife doesn't have the nasiyinus that a person who's making has, running a business does. Even if your wife is making a simcha, she's not locked into a menu. She's controlling what's going to be served. And she's an eidech and nam and that's why it's different. A person who's doing this for money, and I think that's the shot behind the takanasad abaratzis, where there's a financial factor involved. People make decisions that are not always the correct decisions. Not that they want to serve you something that's not kosher. I don't believe a frumayid wants to serve you something or sell you something that's not kosher. And if there are cases like that, I agree with you, they are exceptions, not the rule. But there are different situations where people start being my head and start rationalizing because they have their livelihood on the line. That's the reality. I mean, the, the, washing the, of the, the washing of the base hill is, he says, light plug. You're not going to know who is a mochsher and who isn't a mochsher should have right. made light plug. Whatever it is a financial incentive, light plug. But, but he doesn't say that. I'm just saying you're being... Yeah, I think that's what he means. I think that's, that's why he said it needs a hechsher. He didn't say about your house. The Basil didn't say that a house needs action. The Basil said a business needs action. Why did the Basil distinguish between a house and a business? Because whenever there's a financial incentive, it changes the picture. Or it could be that your friends, you know, he's a Mosik Bakashras. A store owner—it's less likely. You can know the store owner a lot better than the okay. guy that invited you in shul. You walk into shul and somebody who looks religious invites you for dinner. You don't know him at all. The person in the store could be a person that you know very well. He could be a close relative. And, and he says, so he says that's only because of light plug. You usually don't right. know the store so owner I, that well. So I think I think that the light plug means financial incentive versus not financial incentive. The person who's inviting you for dinner has no financial incentive. The person who is, has a business has a real financial nesoyin, and then the nesoyin is a light plug. What is the lush light plug? What, what light plug I mean, you on, on anybody who's doing it for business? So it's that's not light plug. It's not light plug. It's because of financial incentive. It's not a different so that's light, the plug. light plug. So everybody has to have a hechsher. You'll say, why does everybody have to have a hechsher? Moshe Rabbeinu needs a hechsher. So light plug. I don't start deciding you don't need a hechsher because you are David Lichtenstein, but my Elfant needs an extra. Everybody who has a business needs an extra. That's how I always understood Basil. Yeah, well, um, let me ask you a, a few more questions. Um, so you would need in anybody's home then, even a Chabad Chassid, Yengaman buying, etc. I didn't say a home, I said a business. Uh, where they're selling it. Where, where, they're, where they're selling it. They're selling it if they yeah. don't have a house. Yeah. Correct. I tell people I have a small shul, so it's not really, really a raya. But I've discussed this with Rabbanim who have big kehillahs, and I've explained to them why they should make a rule that everything should have a hechsher. And some of them have, in fact, after we've discussed it, called me and said, Rabbi Elfin, we've thought about it, and we have now made that rule. I'll tell you an episode that happened to me. Many, uh, when I married off my daughters, we made Shavish Shavrachas in a hall in Bar Park. That's where I live. And the Hashgach on that hall is somebody who, I, is a colleague, somebody I work with in the world of Kashras. And he has a rule that everything that comes into the hall has to have a hechsher, or if it doesn't have a hechsher, it has to be made in the hall. So now what happened was that my wife wanted to serve salads. And the salads, as you know, are expensive. And my wife said she, her sisters, want to prepare salads at home. Now, I would consider myself a reliable person. Let's not debate that, okay? And my wife said I'll use only the companies of Czech vegetables that you, Rabbi X, are comfortable with. And he said to me, I won't let that into the hall. I know you very well, Rabbi Elson. I have a lot of confidence in you, but the rule is that everything has to have a hechsher. And I respect that. And I accepted that. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you how I wanted to make a chilek, that um, 
um, that I thought was a chilek, right? Because I think people who are traveling or guys in yeshiva, I think that you see in the poskim already in Afghamina from eating in somebody's house, or from eating in a store, right? In a right. store, you need a, a, a muxik bakash, so let's say according to the Rambam, to eat in somebody's house. You don't have that extra thing of of of, of muxik bakashas, right? And what's okay. this far that the Gemara says, we shine him say, because what he sells, he himself is not going to eat trace. But to give it to the other person, he's not so makhbed already on Yenna. You know, unless either he's not makhbed on his own kashras, and therefore in his house, the person who's chashed, and you can't eat in the store, in his house you could eat. That's what the Shulchan Aruch Paskins, right? Mm-hmm. A gavurcha, very ironic thing. I was asked, remember there was the big scandal in, in Muncie, the, the Muncie butcher. Oh, yeah. So somebody asked me, could you, what do you think he ate at home? Ah, and I said, it's a beferish machaba at home. He ate kasha. He didn't care about other people, but at home he wouldn't. That's what the Shulchan Aruch says in Kofiyot Tess, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I said the following, Svara. I said, to me, once you accept that the, uh, you know, you need a hashgacha, like the Vada Baratza says, it doesn't matter if it's in a home, it doesn't matter if it's in a store. A store, a, a, a home factory is just a store factory that's looking for cheaper rent. Right. Very good. Well said. Right. However, if the person is using in her own kitchen and she's using her own kalim, so here she's not going to want it. This whoever this is, this housewife oh, okay. is not going to want it. Is not going to want to trace it up their own kalim, right? So if they're using if they're using their own kalim, she has no cake. She bakes three cakes a day for her husband. She she bakes for the two of the ten people who come to town. She, so it's going to be mutter. If, however, it's a home bakery, in other words, you go into the basement and they have a so it, it's 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 a business operating out of a home. A business operating out of a home is no different than a business operating out of a store, except it's cheaper rent, right? I I like your sorrow. So would you? So based on that, would you accept to say, look, if the woman's baking in her house, she's using her own kalim, and her husband is selling a few cakes and show, or she's, a, or the, the, the for the for the person who comes to town, they also provide a, their 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 dinner, and for the people who come to town dinner. That to me, it's an extension of what they do at home. It doesn't have a dinner. You no, know, I would of accept the sorrow. I would accept the sorrow. I think it's a it's a sound sorrow, but it doesn't answer my concern about two things. Number one, about what's their level of knowledge, because again, it's not the same as you, you know. As well, just it boils down to you would would you eat supper by that person's okay. house? That's the other issue down. is they they don't have the nesayin. You and I and they don't have the nesayin of what's going to do with the what's going to be with the order that I have to fill. These are the realities of the order. I'm not that disagreeing. I have to fill. I'm not disagreeing. I'm telling you, Svara, that that here that this, I, even I if they have to fill an order, they're not going to want to trace it up their own kalim. That's what I'm saying. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But usually they don't use their own kalim because you don't need a big pot to make dinner for your family. Yeah, but the, the same pot that they're making for that, they're probably making for their family. Too. Okay. If that's the case, that you could verify that they're making a big pot of soup and they're taking off soup for their own family and the rest of the soup is what they're selling. I think it's a, it's a sound Svara. Okay. So. There are hundreds of Hachshirim, right? How do you know what to rely on? I mean, we have, unfortunately, biggest scandals with Hachshirim we've had recently than we've had ever had with somebody at home. So how do you know which Hachshirim to trust and which not? You know, the question is a fantastic question. And it's something that I think about a lot. And I'll tell you how, uh, how I think of the question. If, if somebody, Chas V'Shalom, needs a doctor, okay? He's not feeling well and whatever. Everybody should be gesund and stark, but we know that people need doctors. Do you know anybody that needs a doctor, certainly for something which is sem- serious or semi-serious, will just open up the yellow pages? I don't know if they have yellow pages anymore. But will just open up the yellow pages and look up 
I need a cardiologist, they'll look up on the list of cardiologists and just call anybody who's there. Do you know anybody that would do that? No. I don't think no, I don't think, I don't think anybody responsible, certainly nobody from the Jewish community is going to do that, right? Yeah. And so in my mind, for a doctor, you would never rely on a doctor, even if he even if he sends you a copy of his license and his diploma just because he's a doctor. So just because somebody created a symbol, figured out a way to embellish the letter K and created a symbol, why should you trust him? I, I don't have an answer to your question. I think that just like you wouldn't eat, you wouldn't go to a doctor without checking him out. You shouldn't eat from a house. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, you the know. difference. I'll just tell you the difference, okay? A doctor, you know, um, I had a, a sister of mine went to a dentist. He drilled and he, he hit a nerve, and now his one ear is she she could barely hear from it. Nothing. And she said, then she asked, she says, oh, she heard a few pers people who are terrible with this. When you when you're buying a hesha, you have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. I had on a hesha for Marriage Stroll. I had on a hesha. So your average consumer has no idea. They never interact. It shows that's up on the supermarket. That, you know, there used to be a store famous statement that educated consumers the best. But how do, how do, so I'm asking you, how, does pe how do people check out? You have so a scandal with this hefsha, a scandal with this hefsha. Well, how do you know? You, is, wanna, it, is it a good hefsha that had a scandal or is it a lousy hefsha, right? No, I, you know what? I, I don't, you know, it wasn't the OU that had that scandal. So it would be very easy for me to say, yeah, don't use that hefsha. But that's not what I'm going to answer. What I'm going to say is every person in consultation with his rov, in the consultation with Talmud Chachamim, should have certain questions that they need to know and then they, they need to have answered before they trust the hefsha. I'll tell you a story that just happened a couple of weeks ago. I was invited to speak at a certain Yachi Kala, a very Choshva Yachi Kala, 270 Balabatim, who took off two days just to sit and learn. Nikam Yisrael. And I was invited to come speak Sunday night together with another Rav at that Yachi Kala. I'm, I'm, so, yeah, I'm curious, what so you did you speak about? My sugis kashrus. I gave oh. my sugis uh, daf yomi and kashrus. So first I gave daf yomi shir, and then I gave uh, uh, we spoke about kashrus. Those are my subjects. People don't call me to talk about heart disease. They call me about the subjects I know. So that was my shir. So we're speaking about kashrus, and I said laniastaiti that any store, any food establishment that is preparing meat or is preparing food where there's a real nesoyen and a real incentive to cheat because the cost of kosher meat is double the cost of non-kosher meat and the availability of kosher meat is not there like the availability of non-kosher meat needs to have an independent Shomer Shabbos individual in that store. That's my opinion. I know we may be able to debate that. But that was my opinion and I said to this audience, which as I repeat, was a very, very Choshva audience. That if you walk into the store and you don't see such a person, you should walk out. And the fact that the store has a Hesher, and it doesn't make a difference in my mind who is the Hesher, doesn't make a difference. You should walk out. That was my statement. I thought it was a fair statement. It certainly reflects my opinion. What happened was, I got a call a week or 10 days after I spoke there. Do you know how people were upset at your statement? I said, I didn't know. I was not part of the audience. I was part of the panel. But I said, you people, how dare you say that? I said, listen, you could say how dare I say it, and you don't have to agree, but I still stick to my opinion. And what I'm saying, what I'm saying in answer to your question is, the fact that somebody's name or somebody's certificate is hanging on the wall, so what does that mean? What does that mean? To me, it means that you're a cardiologist. That's all it means. It doesn't mean that I could trust it that I would go to you, I would put my life in your hands. And Machal Sassurus, I'm a Tomtum Delayf. It's the same life. It's Yeruchnis Delayf. 
So bottom line is you're saying you have to, the, 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 the kosher consumer has to be curious. He just can't accept what, what's hanging on the wall. If something Absolutely. doesn't smell right, he has to... I'll tell you a famous, I'll tell you a great story that happened when I was a young boy. It was a long time ago. I was in Etzisrael together with my father, Oliver Shalom, and my mother had a great uncle who was a very Choshev, who lived in Tel Aviv. We were there. It was a Shemitah year. And the Shemitah in those days doesn't look, don't, doesn't look like Shemitah nowadays. Nowadays, you go to Etzisrael during the Shemitah, you can't really tell. You go to the hotel, you get the same fruits and vegetables like you got during the non-Shemitah years. In those days, people who were machmer and Shemitah were, mach, were limited. They didn't have all the fruits and vegetables, and they certainly weren't the quality that people were used to. We came to Tel Aviv, that's where this Uncle Rav lived, and the stores had the most beautiful fruits and vegetables. So my father, Oliver Shalom, asked my uncle, how is that shaykh? So he says, you know, hatimachira, whatever. So my father says, the hatimachira has rabban, asks this person, the hatimachira has rabban behind it, so it should be good enough. So I was a young boy, and I said, would you eat if there was a suffix and something had poison, that it was poisonous? And there was the slightest percent chance that it was poisonous, but somebody reliable, somebody, a rov, said it's not poisonous. Would you eat it? Of course not. I, the person, said it's not. You don't take chances with your life. The same thing is Nachal Sasuris. Nachal Sasuris and Matantum Libe Shaladim. We don't even really clearly understand what that means. But it certainly doesn't sound good. So you don't take chances with that. And just saying because somebody signed their name on it and created a symbol, so that's good enough for me. But you're Matantum Libe Shaladim. You don't know what that could bring. Okay. What questions should a person ask? So in my mind, the first question a person should ask is when we're dealing with retail. Is the, the, does the place have an independent Shabbos person there all the time? That's the first e- e- Even if it's a from a person who owns it? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's the first question that, that what I believe one should ask. Next question is, you should ask, who are the Rabbonim? You, you can't know that. You can't ask a question about every factory. But you're going to ask a question about all 14,000 factories that we certify. But you should try to learn who are the people who are responsible for that Heksher. Who are they? What are their qualifications? Who are their price scheme? These aren't such hard questions to ask. And check them out. Check out who are the people who run the OU and find out if you think that they're reliable people, if they're Tamid Chamim, if they're people who know what they're doing, do they have Paiskim, who are their Paiskim. These aren't hard questions to ask, but those are the questions that you should ask before you just accept something. Question for you. Give me your five Hashgachas that you, you would rank as the best five best Hashgachas. I will never answer that question. Oh, it is good. I can't, I, 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 I don't speak about other Hashgachas. Well, what happens if our Rav says the same thing? That's not it. <laughs> I'll tell you, if somebody in my shul comes over to me and asks, I don't speak about other hashgachas, but if somebody in my shul comes over to me and asks me, I'm invited to eat at this hashgacha, could I eat? Or my wife wants to buy certain product that has a certain hashgacha on it, I'll answer. Because that's my chrais as a rough. But as the OU, we can't speak about other hashgachas. We could speak about other hashgachas. You could ask me a question, does the OU accept ingredients from hashgacha X or from hashgacha Y? But I'm not rating them. Okay, are there any of the major hashgachas in America who OU would not accept their ingredients? I don't know who you consider the major hashgachas. I don't know. I can't. Okay, Star K, you accept? Typically, yes. Okay. Yeah, typically, yes. And the Hasidic Shech Sherem, Nira Barta, et cetera, those you accept? Typically, yes. Typically, you know, the word typically is important because sometimes, especially when it comes to meat. So meat, the OU only accepts OU certified meat. Well, we're talking do you, about meat. Do you accept, you accept okay? 
Again, typically yes, but not on not on meat and wine. Things that are very complicated, we only accept our own hashgacha. Interesting. That doesn't mean that those hashgachas don't have other hashgachas on it. There are all you meat, all you chicken, all you wine that has other hashgachas, but we only will accept our own product, or we, or we checked it out independently. Okay, Agresi Ashikaya, thank you so much. Bye bye. Here's Rabbi Shlomo Pearl of the KCL talking about the reasons why a home of food production service needs a hechsher. It's it's so it's so important, so important. So not things that uh, I can just can give you uh, two um, two reasons. Um, first one is because when some when someone has a someone has a business in the house, he it doesn't have a share, so he's going to use the cheapest what he can use. Meaning, yeah, he's going to find a share something, but. No one can tell them, listen, this is not approved. Our community doesn't, doesn't use it, so why you give it to him? So only if you have an action on top of them, the cashers can tell them, this item is not approved, you cannot use it. I will example someone that calls us for action, a business home. He makes some drink, and we find out he's using beef protein. And the beef protein was parved, meaning... They, it's one of the um, one of the shem gives the extra on beef on beef protein. It's he's not uh, really liable, but no one. That's what I know. That's what I hear also. Not by the OU, not by the OQ, not by no one. But he is approving it, and it's also he said it's parv, even if it's beef protein, and uh, because it's made from uh, bones in uh, skin, whatever he has is shit. But um, obviously, no one. No one approve it from the reliable actions. So this is enough a reason to people understand when they you're going to use something that it's not with a reliable action. Even because that could happen when we confront the, the the guy. Listen, how you use it. This is you you give it how you use it for Amish uh, community. So he told me what was a good action. It was actually, and somebody somebody told me it's good, so I didn't know it's a problem. Wow, I don't know what to do now. Okay, so and, and that's a lot, a lot. The so ingredients is the main thing, and people also Adam Adam Bowl He's going to use the cheapest that he has, if no one is on top of him. And also, he doesn't know the halachas, what to watch, how to watch, and things that has to be uh, careful. Even it's toilum, even it's. Uh, Sakona, Chale, all, all, all around. So, um, yes, it's, it's, it's a very important thing. And the other thing, it's very important, even business that has Ashkocha, to make sure they have a combination lack number. Because uh, most of the time, the, even the play, places that have Ashkocha, it's very hard to, go, to get into the place. So we, the KCL, just not long ago, we sent an email for for all uh, establishment and uh, business owner business that uh, anyone must to put a combination lack number and everyone change it to that to a combination lack number. Meaning the mashgiach is going to call before he goes just to make sure that he's not hoping that someone is inside. He's going to tell them, "Listen, I'm on the way to you. 
if someone is there, it's good. If not, someone is not there, it's going to open it and it's going to go inside and to check the whole place, the whole ingredients. So Al-Regulachas, important, important. People don't know. A lot, I heard a lot of people saying like, um, there's a mensch who's down to the, the girl. Right. But once you have a business, it's is Arbechavitzurch. Yeah, need a shamer. Yeah, okay. It's amazing thing what you bring up, and it's very, very important. Joining us from Flatbush is Rabbi Baruch Steinfeld. He's the uh, Rav of Dover uh, Taiv, which is on 24th and Elishul in Flatbush. He was for 20 years the Mashiach for Kehillah Kashrus. That's basically the uh, the Flatbush Kashrus organization. And uh, he's a Talmud of Taravadas. He's a Musmach of Rav Palm Zechatzalik Levracha and Rav Belsky Zechatzalik Levracha. Welcome, Rabbi Baruch. Thank you. So you see this all the time. I remember still when I was in Yeshiva Samaria and Gaman was trying to earn some money, his wife would bake cake and he would put the cake on the table and outside the door by the yeshiva and you would pay Akasha 50 cents for a slice of cake, whatever it was. It was without any heksha. But you assume that the young man learned in yeshiva and, you know, in kail, etc. You know, he davened three times, seemed like a little person, so we, we bought the cake. Were we doing the wrong or the right thing? There was no heksha on the cake. So it's a very tough question to answer. And I'll I'll revert back and say like this. Allah says that every yid has a chesed So the etzim I can eat in your house, you should be able to eat in my house, and trust me that whatever I serve you is 100% kosher. The, which, is the hala, which is the halacha. Yes. So how come we have the need for kashas today? Every store has to have ashkach and it's accepted and it's needed. So that's based on Chaim Tzanza, who felt and said that the minute you run a business and you have to, you're doing it to make money, then it's already a dinam mama is bigger than non is bigger than and there you need aids, so to speak. Okay, but, there you're but, not but, but, but correct. But let me just back up to Shulchanara who says that all you and some achleik is Beis Yosef and the Ramah. The Beis Yosef says anybody you don't even have to know he's a mochzik bekashras unless you know he's a chashid you can buy from his store. Mm-hmm. And the Ramah is more machmer like the Shittas Rambam. No, you need a cheskes kashras. The Shulchanara is talking about where it's a store. Right, it's not talking about in somebody's home. And yet, the Shulchan Aruch, even according to the Muhammad Dekadeya, says you don't need a Heksha. All you need is that the person should have a Heksha's Kashras. I know the Beis Hill brings it in, in Sin Samachay, from the Vadar Baratzis, that notwithstanding the fact that the Shulchan Aruch says that you, even according to the Muhammad Dekadeya, at the most you need is somebody who's a Muhsik Bekashras, the Russian of the Beis Hill is, he says, why be shumloy plug? Because you know what's going to happen. There's going to be a whole argument. He is a mochzei pekasheres. He's not a mochzei pekasheres. I saw he did daven. He davened in the wrong minion. He davened the wrong thing. He davened in a, in, a, in, a, in a modern minion and not modern. Whatever the case, he says loy plug. Right? He says we need a cheskes. We need a mochzei pekasheres. And I would imagine he's going on. Shulchanar's case, which is a commercial establishment, right? So I'm going to add to what he says, if you don't mind, and yeah. explain it a little bit more and explain why today it's imperative to have Ashkafa. Once upon a time, we didn't have that many companies, we didn't have that many materials. A person would pretty much live in a shtetl and they would have a sheikh who shechts and a boydik who checks and that's that's it. They didn't. They would go every day or every once a week to shech the chicken and so on and so forth. Today there is 
so much more involved in kashras that it's virtually impossible even for one person to have the knowledge to know everything that's out there, if it's kosher or not. Because we have so many different materials that go into every product, whether it's preservatives, whether it's other things, vitamins and other things that go into every product, that it's virtually impossible for the layman to even have a half a minute to know what's a group A product and what's not a group A product, what needs hashgacha, and to what extent does it need hashgacha. And there's so many, so many intricate details that go into it. So give us, give us a few give us a few examples. What's well, a grape A? What's a grape B? I, I don't know what that means. Okay, great grape A product would be like let's say sugar. Really doesn't between it does not need hashkafa. If it's just sugar and nothing else it doesn't need hashka it doesn't need hashkafa. But then you have products that like cereals or other things which people think, yeah, it's pretty simple. It has wheat, it has a couple of uh, uh items in it, but there's always that sneaky thing which is called natural and artificial flavors, which we don't know what those are, and you don't have to list them because they're less than 5% of the product. So we don't know what these things are unless you find out who, if the OU or somebody went into the plant and can verify what these things are. Is it a kosher product? Is it not? Etc. Etc. So there's a bunch of things which we need today, more UDS and more help than once upon a time, as far as products go, as far as anything that's commercially packed. Then we have the problem of, let's say you have a line which can have kosher products and non-kosher products run on it. So you would need to have some sort of cashering mechanism, which we need to find out, was it done? Was it a banyan? Was it not? Is it kosher with agola? Is it kosher with, with fire? What exactly is being done to make sure? Is it in all power of plant? Is it not? Is it milk? Does it have milk? Is it chalvisol? Is it not chalvisol? There are so many intricacies that it's not like once upon a time you went to the farmer, filled up a bottle of milk, and that was that. So therefore, today, as a whole, we need to have hashgachas on all our products. So here's, here's my question for you. Okay. Can I eat in, in, in my friend's house knowing that there are so many different types of products? Yes, because today your friend, I would imagine, knows that there's these issues and would have a certain guideline set for himself, whatever the guidelines are, without going into names of Ashkachas, etc., etc., that he accepts this Ashkacha and this Ashkacha he doesn't accept, and he only eats Cholisol or does not only eat Cholisol, only eats Pasisol, does not only eat Pasisol, Yashan, does not eat Yashan, but I can go into his house and ask him, are you Makran Yashan? And if I say, if he tells me yes, and I'm Makran Yashan, I can trust him on it. But if so he says, I don't know what Yashan is, then, then I probably should not eat in his house. So the question then is, let's say I know an Aralukha guy has a store, right? So... I walk into his store. Now, you mentioned that today we need hashgacha because it's complicated. Why can't I assume in his bakery he's only using OU products, he's only using Chassidish uh, Hersha uh, Star K products, and based like I could eat in his house, I could eat in his store the same way? That's a great question. So let me tell you the detail of the story, which will enlighten you a little bit. Um, I worked, as I told you, for Kehila for 20 years. And one of my places that we used to give hashgacha to was a store with multiple products. They ordered stuff and they sold it. And we would give Ashkacha, not for every particular product, but we'd make sure that every product is under Ashkacha. And if it's if it's a part of product, we would make sure that's an all part of plant, unless we made sure that Ashkacha had a Mashgir Kashring. We had certain guidelines set up. This owner was a Sidish Yid, El Chiyid, 
as far as I know, and I would still consider them an Elchayid. He would uh, call me up sometimes and say, this is product, could you do the research for me? Can I sell it in the store or not? I was once in the store with him straight there. This is why I'm saying this was in front of my eyes. And he asks me, I want you to find out about this product. But before you find out about this product, he opens up the package, he takes a bite out of it, and says, you know what? I'm not going to sell this in my store. This doesn't have good quality. But he ate it. So I asked him, Ravid, what's the shot? You ate this. You, you realize um, this could be paspalta, this could be cholstam. You ate this. He said, in my house, I would never bring any of this stuff in. I want my kids, Amikos, to be your aim This is business. I can't sell a product that's no good. I have to taste every product. Now, would you say he's an avarian? No. But when it comes to business, sometimes the best overtakes him in people that are in the business, and they have a separate standard when it comes to business, and then they have a separate standard when it comes to their house. Or you'll have people who say, in my Which house, is interesting. Rabbi Ruch, it's, it's very interesting. And it's interesting that the Shulchan Aruch doesn't notice. Shulchan Aruch says, somebody's right. the most... So you're, so you're saying that when the base Hill says that in a store, we today we have a heksha because of loy plug, you're saying it's beyond loy plug. It goes because when, when it comes to money, people often um, look the other way. Unfortunately, they do. So, and, 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 and I've seen this also in business. People eat out in places they would never bring in the same food into their own house. For some reason, when it comes to meetings and business and things like that, people all of a sudden start to be mental. I'm not sure why the HR is so prevalent. Okay. But, but, so, so you're saying that that is, that is another svara to, to, to the base hill, to, to be machmer, to, to need a half It's a practical svara. It's a practical svara. Now let's back up the original question. Yeah, yeah let's go back to now in the home. The shingaman, right. The yeah. home, home-based business. Um, I always feel that if this becomes a pure business where this lady is really going to make a business out of it, which there are some ladies with home-based businesses that became such big business that they themselves don't, it's not just like baking for a simcha or two or three, then they probably need hashkach. But if they're just baking, like you said, for in the man to bring a, bring a couple of extra dollars, the husbands are making good money or decent money, so maybe then... But again, you're going to say we need a light plug. So that's why some people are not to have on the home-based business a hashgacha, which in and of itself is a shverzach. I, I personally don't think that's our biggest problem, is the home-based businesses. I think the biggest problem is that between you and me, if you walk into the guy's store and you cannot eat in the owner's house, then I don't care who the hashgacha is, you cannot trust it. Whereas if you have a person who you trust Ashgach, the owner, even if Ashgach is not so great, as long as he has some sort of Ashgach with some sort of guidelines to help him out, to make sure that he is on the level of understanding that he shouldn't make any mistakes about certain products, you probably can trust him. It all starts and ends with the owner. Well, the Shulchan Aruch says somebody who's a chashir on that zover you can't buy from him, you're adding on that even with a heksha you can't buy from him because he'll figure out a way around the heksha. Which we've seen. Let's well, go back to the case. Let's say Goisha owner, right? If people giving hashgachas to Goisha owners, that's a big problem. Because so we just saw what happened in, in Jersey, that terrible thing that happened Correct. in Jersey based on that. But let me go back to the home. So to then, the home. then they came out saying that you need home-based business needs hashgachas. They're hashgacha messed up. A home-based business is not a Chinese person or a Goisha person who's doing the business. 
So you, you, I mean, if you want to be mocked on cautious and say the home-based business needs Ashgacha, I'm all for it. But that should not be directly correlated to that story, which right after... No, no, it's saying it's a daima. When, when you have a year of Shemayim baking at home, when you have a guy who's... The whole, and, the whole and, cash and system seems it's absurd. Been, it's, been, it's been combined for some reason. Right after yeah. that story, they came out with cult players and all that thing against the home-based business, which they did nothing wrong. Now, it's interesting. I see from the Asifas Yitzchak, he brings from Chaim Kinevsky, who he was asked, if Yochel Lichter's me Adam Shemuchsik Bekashras, Afilum Eilu and Hechsher, and he says, Haminig de Bemuchsik Kaineb. He writes that the, that the base Hillel is not, uh, it seems the Minig of Kal Yisrael. Isn't that interesting? So let me ask you a question. The Akal Kaira came out, a bunch of Rabbanim, all home-based businesses, Nida Hashgacha. I've traveled around the world, right? I've been many places in the world. And you come to a town, you're in Singapore, Afghamina, and you're hungry. So what do you do? You call Chabad. I don't know if they do this in Singapore. And the poor woman from Chabad, you know, they, they send them around the world. They send them with a nickel and, and you're a Shemayim. They don't send them with any money. And they have to charge for that when they send over to you, wherever you're staying dinner. They, they push you can't afford it. These, these younger light, they live by, a lot of them mamish live like a Niyamarudim, right? So somebody's going to say, look, this Chabad guy, his wife cooks up is for travelers who are coming from America. They're in, in Tokyo or Japan or Hong Kong, wherever you're traveling on, on uh, wherever your, your business takes you. And now you're ordering from Chabad. They could never get him. How are you going to get a mashgiach in, 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 in Hong Kong, right? So you're going to say, according to this called Kaira Lachari, you shouldn't be able to eat these dinners. It's most so because they themselves are the mashgiachim for a lot of the plant, these Chabad people. So you're going to trust them for the plant, but you're not going to trust them for the, what they what the roads and serves in their own house. Most of these Chabad people... I understand, but it's, it's hard to say... I understand, but so you're saying, so you're saying, let's say the guy's not a mashkiach, let's say the guy's not a mashkiach in another food, so you're saying, here we have a home-based business, they, the Chabad is baking bread and, and, and whatever it is, and shechting chickens, whatever, for people who come to town, and they charge them $20 for dinner, and we're going to say, you can't eat this dinner because they don't have a mashkiach, you know, according to this understanding, extension of the base hill into somebody's house, they still talking about business, Lachaira. We're extending it and saying it's a home-based business. Yeah, so, so can I just add to your point to drop, if you don't yeah. mind? Yeah. Um, you're, you're kind of preaching to the choir. Because let's say if the issue is money, right, and you're saying this Chabad woman who cooks in Singapore or in Tokyo, the problem is that she's getting paid for that meal, and that's why we're going to say she's a home-based business and she needs Ashgach. Let's say she would have an Ashgach. That Ashgach would not do it for free either. They're also being paid. So why is the Hashgacha taking money going to be better than this woman who sells a business? and sells cake or cookies or meals in Tokyo for a living going to be worse. You're asking in general, why am Ashgichim Neman, they're also taking money? Correct. Every Hashgach is okay. taking money. So, and the Every answer is? Himself, and every the answer is, If you're a person that is, um, you're living and your job is to be a Mashkiach, you don't, and that's your expertise, and you spent years and years learning and studying, the last thing you want to do is mess it up over something stupid. Whereas when it comes to a, a meicher, a seicher, who is selling hundreds of thousands of items, he might cut corners and say, you know what, in my house I wouldn't eat this, but you know what, it's really kosher, I'm just being machra on myself, I'm going to add it to the list, and even though he doesn't know that maybe there's something more, there's a bigger problem with this item. Now this woman in Tokyo who cooks, I'm sure she's not making a killing, and she has a very limited menu because she doesn't have much to work with. I'm sure she's not cutting corners, so we can understand, and that's the only thing that's around. So wait, I don't understand this. So you have a store that only has one product. You're going to say, since it's only one product, they don't need a hefsha? 
Um, possibly. It depends what the product is. And it depends if the product requires a bunch of different ingredients. Let's say it's a, let's say it's a, it's a simple. It's a, it's just making cake. They just make a chocolate cake. To store it, just yeah. makes chocolate no, cakes. What you say it doesn't need hashka. Everyone everyone's gonna agree that the guy who used to deliver eggs didn't need hashka. Yeah, this is what, what what's the Shiloh with eggs? There's no Shiloh. Uh, there's taken of Shiloh because you can't even. There's no problem. With Nothing it. to do with eggs. What could you do with an egg? But but that's what I'm saying. So if this woman is cooking her meals her standard meals, and she has very limited access to other stuff, then maybe she probably doesn't need that. Well, you could, so if you have a restaurant that has a simple meal, would be, would it need a health show? No, a restaurant, a restaurant comes over. So she's just a restaurant. She's a restaurant in small. That's what so she is. Look, do you think she has a bunch of goitas working there? Do you think she has a bunch of uh, uh, other people working there? So I would say that there's a difference between somebody's house and a store. And somebody's house, like you said, they, they, were, they don't want to trafe up their kalim, they don't want to trafe up their kitchen, They're, so there's an extra stringency that somebody has in the house that they don't have in the store. What about these women who have goitas working in the house, helping them? Ain't but you're allowed to eat in the house, right? So they're nemon in the, in the house. house. They're nemon for their own selves. Yeah. Right. So, it's eight, so we're saying if a person's so I'm saying if a person's nemon in their house, it's possible as a svara to say I'm nemon in my house. I'm not want to trafe up my house. I don't want my goyit to to to, to, to trafe up my house. And therefore, you're allowed to buy from me without a hefsha. Right, which then becomes problematic. Why did the rabbanim require home hefsherim to have a uh, uh, I'll give an example. I'll give an example. Uh, uh, I would just say that there's a, possible, there's a possibility, and it's fine as far as, because this doesn't say in halach anyway. The Basil just says you need a hersha, period. He's machmir on the shach, on the taz, on the ramad, and he says you need a And it makes sense, like you're saying. In a person's house, you're saying a person is more machmir. Therefore, in a person's house, we could say he doesn't need a hersha. And they have all the Chabad guys, they're certainly muxlik bakashras, they don't need a hersha. I, you could say, a home based business does need a hersha. So I would just say, he's just a svaratim mechalik. A home based business, that the pshat is, it's a separate kitchen, it's a separate thing. It's really sort of a business in your house. It's that same outside business that happens to be located in your house. When a person is cooking in their kitchen, and they're cooking for themselves, and they're also cooking to sell, that could be different than when somebody has in their house, like sort of a business in their house, which really has nothing to do with their... I had a... Also, sometimes you could be cooking in your house, and you'll cook for your house, and everything will be milchik, or everything will be parab, or everything will be flesh. So you need a hashgacha to oversee, to make sure that if you're selling to the public, that they're selling, for instance, let's say a home-based lady who's baking cakes. You want to make sure that that cake can be eaten with flesh and can be eaten with milk. Do you want to make sure she kashas her oven between one or the other at home? She may not do that. She may say, forget it. I'll leave it only with flesh. I'll eat it only with milk. And she'll keep track of it. But once it goes out of the store, she's not going to label it. This was cooked in the milk oven together with milk cakes, together with cheese that is running or not or whatever it is. So there is intricacies which even a home-based business could use the help of a hashgacha. I don't think it's required. I don't think it's mandatory. It's probably recommended, if you want to be on the safe side, to discuss it and to have a hashgacha help you out, make sure you run a kitchen that it's 100% parv, that you can sell to everybody, to both milchitz and flesh, if you, if you see what I'm okay. saying. Okay, let me this go. Is, even though it's okay. kosher. Okay. Yeah, no, no. You're saying that there are compl- if, there are, if it's a complicated um, kashrus process, you should bring, you should discuss it with a mashkiach to make sure you're getting it right, regardless of whether you need a hashgacha or not. Correct. Okay, here's a question. There are hundreds of Hersherim. 
how do you know which are good and which aren't good? We know, you know, there's a few sort of the super hechsherim that they're good. And then afterwards, how do you know if a hechsher is good? And I, wa- and I, want, to, and I want to ask you in particular, let me ask you something that I, I, you now have your own hechsher, so I don't, I don't want to start up with you personally, but it used to be that the, hashge- hashge- the hashgachas were not for profits. What does that mean? They were big organizations. They were sort of like the OU or uh, I guess the Star K. They're owned by the Kehillah. They're, they're not for profit. The money is. And therefore, if they have to lose a, a, a client, okay, it's not their money. It's sort of the Kehillah's money. They're doing what's right for the community, period. Today, you have all these Hefsherim that have become privately owned businesses. Right? And That's a great question. And, and and how do we trust these Hachshirim, these 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 private family owned businesses that they, they make millions and millions they, they fly in their private jets like do they really want to lose a client? How do we do that? But but I want to tell you something. The, 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 your your logic is great in theory. But let's say I worked for Kehillah, which is also an organization, um, and also, uh, also an organization which is non-profit. None of the abundance of Kehillah make a penny, and they give up their, t- their time for it. There's a few mashkich who make money. But to say that they're not scared of losing a client, maybe the upper Rabbanim are not scared. But if I'm a mashkich and I work for a caterer, okay, and I'm hired by, let's say, uh, the OU to be a mashkich for a certain job, and if that caterer, if I catch something by that caterer and I lose my job, I'm not guaranteed to get another job. You realize that? Look, it's for sure that there are going to be situations in any set of rules that go against the general rule, right? But as a rule, not-for-profits are not concerned about profits, and for-profits are concerned about profits. Can you have a situation? Can you have a situation? Can you have a situation? Yeah. Can I, I'm sorry for arguing, but I'm yeah, yeah. for a profit. If your payroll is a certain amount, even if you're not a profit, you still got to cover payroll. And if you have people uh, this, working in a big organization, Rebeirach, you don't you, want you, to lose people. No, you know, it says, you know, with any hashgacha, it's true, Rebeirach, but want to lose. It's, it's true. Want to, they don't you know, care, but they definitely don't want to lose the bulk of their hashgacha. It's true that everybody is worried about making payroll. There's no doubt about it, right? And and it's but but so it's all in degrees. A for-profit is very driven. Their purpose is to make money, right? A not-for-profit is to apply the service. They happen to need the money to cover their overhead. So it's it's a very different mindset. So we're not saying nobody that they don't care about money at all. Like the sine betza, they 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 don't want. They have to make payroll. They 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 made commitments for the year. They rented a place to oversee police. Right. But the bottom line is they're driven by a purpose and the money is secondary. And the for-profit is driven by the money and the purpose is secondary. That's how every for-profit and not-for-profit in the world works, right? So I'll just tell so, you what the difference is. The difference is when you're setting guidelines and when you're setting standards. So if you're a not-for-profit organization, then you're totally a lot in people who donate money to you. And therefore, to a certain extent, you have to service them. So your guidelines and your setup of how you want things run may be on a lesser scale than someone who opens up the Hashgach and says, look, I'm going to keep the certain guidelines no matter what, and I'm also going to make money. Now, the, the money-making issue is a problem regardless. That's a problem, and the best case scenario would be is, like you said, that you would have a killer Hashgacha, the Mashkich would get paid by the Kehillah, doors wouldn't even have to pay for Hashgacha, they would pay a minimal fee to the Kehillah, and that's it. Like KJ tried over the years, and there were Hashgachas that tried that, even Kehillah tried that, but it's not sustainable. Unfortunately, we're living in a society where this would not be sustainable. In the best case scenario, you're 100% right. 
it would be great if everything would be non-for-profit and everybody would just answer to the Rabbanim and every mashgiach would be as, uh, know that he, he cannot be hired or fired by the story works for. It doesn't happen today. I'm so do you believe, do you believe that not-for-profit has share of a better than for-profit or you don't think there's a difference? In theory, yeah, but I don't think there's a difference now. Because ultimately, the guy on the front line, the mashgiach that's in the store, that's not uh, high up there as an RC. An RC is not worried about his job, but the, the small mashgiach who runs in, works, takes a shift in a restaurant, or the small mashgiach who takes a shift by a caterer, he's very worried about his job. Okay. Yeah, but, okay. How do you know if a hechsher is good or not? So I, I, I really don't have a great answer for that. All I could say is in Pekav, it says, I say, Rav, you have to find a Rav who you ask Yishayah to and don't go shopping for a rav. This rav will say, this hashgach is good, and I go to the other rav who says, this hashgach is good. You stick to your rav and make sure your rav is well-educated, and he will know which hashgachas are good, which are not. There are rabbanim out there that know hashgachas, and there are you could ask them, and they will give you an unbiased opinion. But you're right, it's very hard to know when you have so many symbols out there. I myself have to go and certain hashgachas that are from coming from really out of town from other countries to find out what level or what standards they have and I have to talk and make phone calls and I have to try to find out. So what standards what standards does a cashless organization need to have to be able to rely on them? Um, you need to have a mashgiach to be this cashier needs to be done, if there's fish you need to make sure, if there's filleting of fish you need to make sure there's a mashgiach, a council of stuff is under lock and key, if there's any cooking done you need to make sure there's a mashgiach to turn on the fires or at least at, be, at worst have someone light the fires via remotely, um, making sure that you're not... Um, Doing in the same plant milking some place without hashgacha to me this when it comes to kashering. Another issue is if you cash a chocolate, let's say chocolate machines with chocolate, the moisture held you can't cash a chocolate with chocolate, you have to have chocolate machines to cash it with water. There are a loads of things which you need to have standards when it comes to hashgachas. And these are all questions you must ask the hashgachas themselves what their standards are, or their abundant have to ask, and then they can advise their constituents. Well, Rebeo, thank you very much for your time. Hi, it's Moshe Kohn. I'd like to give my answers to this week's riddles. Um, the first question was, why would the Zecher go out if they chose to stay in the Zion? So um, what the standard answer people say is that they didn't chose, chose to stay in the Zion. They were, somehow they got stuck there, and they wanted very much to leave. And in fact, there was a Medrash that they, that there was a special class, Yamsos and the Chloidom, they wanted to leave, and when they law, they weren't the cloud. All those who died, because all those who died were people who wanted to stay in the Zion. If you chose to stay in the Zion, you got to stay. Not alive, but dead. Those who wanted to leave were very few, and also Avirim was among them. So even though Pyre later on spoke to them, that was because they were But they really wanted to leave, and that's why they weren't the cloud. Um, could be it sounds like a dreichig. I would say that it's very hard to know. Darkei Hashem. Maybe they had a good grace of Zayda. Maybe their families needed them very much in the midbar, and if they wouldn't be there, it would be a tremendous, tremendous uh, loss for their families. And the Barshlam had Rachmanus on them and let them leave, even though they wanted to stay in the time. So it's true as a general rule: those who wanted to stay stayed, and those who wanted to leave left. But there were, Yetzirah in the cloud, people that had them, they had Chosavis, maybe they did some type of mitzvah which they deserve to be paid back in this world for. It's hard to know these things. So um, that would be my answer to these 
types of questions. It's, the Torah doesn't really tell us, and it's very hard to know. The second question was about Anivah Malach, Anivah Lechliach, or Kiva Eger, as is well known, says that there were two Bechiris. The Bechar of the Av was Anivah Shavchanti, the Tipash of Bechar, the Tipash of the Bechar, that was done by the Bershom himself, because only the Bershom knew. The other Bechiris, the Bechar of the Aim, the God Labayis, that was through a Sarah, through a to a machabo, a mashkis. So that was the mashkis which wasn't led into their house. Um, it could be, even when we say the Bershlem went down, so the Bershlem shechino was shero, but the Bershlem didn't himself go ahead and kill. Bershlem has no gashmias, he's no tzuras haguf, and uh, to suggest that the Bershlem interacts with the physical world on a literal level um, brings us into questions of akshama. So there was some type of mashkis which the Barishlam used. It wasn't that the Barishlam just sent in a malach while he stood from afar. No, the Barishlam himself went down and uh, somehow was uh, closer to this world than he usually is. But there still was a mashkis. So um, there was, since there was a mashkis, there was a mocking for uh, for something to happen. So there still needed to be a shmir. That would be my answer. Yeah, I just wanted to answer the two questions from this week. The first one was, um, one of them was, um, why it sounds like it's a stira if the Ma'at was the Chodei Ba'asmei or it was Ayudea Mashchit, and that's why they couldn't be from their bias. Because So that was the steer in Rashi. So um you could answer. So it would seem like from Rashi and the Ramban also pointed out that it's not the reason why it was um is nothing to do with the actual maka. The maka maybe the Ramban says that Ra- that Rashi is that really mitzad the Maka it was bechayd of Asma. He couldn't say it's mitzad the Maka. It's just a it's it's tamadim that you any night um, you shouldn't leave leave your house because it's Laila has the machablamu and really it's the Gemara and really that's the way the the machalta finishes off and um, it's also a Gemara in Balbakama that. Darshan from this topic, nothing to do with any maka. Darshan that you should lay them, you know, person should be getting it um, from the ear. The chitay is that you should go um, when it's daytime. So, and that's learned out of this topic, you see, for care, that's nothing to do with the maka. And there are bad points that out. Um, and this is so the Masha answers, the Ramban Taina, the Masha Babakaba, the answers the Taina that. Um, um, that it was it was nothing to do with the Makkah. That's for that question. The other question about why uh, but why um Dasim Avirim were not um killed during the during Khaishikh, you could say this is a medrash that says that uh, by when the the Khaisra were com were complaining in the midbar that um Habitin Farim um Harrison that they should um die in the midbar. So that part of the Taina was that the people who it says in the Medrash that the people who were died during Chayshech had Torah and Hesped, Shalachatzai. 
uh, and they were expected to die in the midbar without any kura, without any hesped. Maybe the reason why um, why they didn't die was because they didn't deserve kura and hesped. So that's why they died by and they were just swallowed up without any um, real kura and hesped. And it was not just not a hesped, but they were hudas and ba'aviram. They were nivlu ba'adaskarach, the Pasuk says. So, um, so they shouldn't have that covered. Okay, bye-bye. Hello, this is Siakam Konigsberg. I wanted to give an answer to the riddle. There's a Pella in the day from the Aramayim Chaim and Pastor Mishal coming up. He wants to say that says, He wants to say that on a Shnayim Yisrael Levan Nikrayam we see that Nosan Aviram got their own Kriyas Yamsov. That's the Pella. So why would they Zaycha to such a thing? Achreinim are that after they heard about the Nisim Hagdolim by Kriyas Yamsov, there was Nichnas Libam Herhuri Tshuva. Or, I heard many years ago that from they, that Nashmaim, they didn't want to be to drown, and they have to be doing a lot of different things. The Rosh, Taka, asks his Kasha, he says, why didn't they Taka die? He says, that they were not in Siyayishu Menagulach, you see, a Pelot Gazach, that even though they were so, so rich, but they were, they were not in Siyayishu Menagulach. And they wanted to Taka leave in time. I heard once, also, that Kodesh Baruch wanted them around to here with the taka leave over in the mon and different zachen that had to be done during the device a lot of different um Kiddush Hashem that they were in the midbar. Um on the second um riddle the Ritpa asks Kasha the Ritpa says that um Malach he wants to say uh and the the Kiva Eger, he wants to say that there's a hill between um a Machar Me'av and Machar Me'a'im. And Machar Me'av, no, you can't be Mavchen, so that was done by the Akadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem came. Machar Me'im, that it's it's Hukar and Vorla Kol, that was done by the Ashliach. Um, and Seyfers of War and Shabbos Chubas want to say that Makas Tachar was Nishlam Aide Malach. It was Nishlam. It was Alpid in the Sahib Smachas of War and Akadish Baruch who started off and then made him into the garden. People that were in the Farfren, the Farfer, and, and they were. So he says that Nishbachos was Matish the Krach Mabokla, and then Malach came and cleared it out. Um. Uh, the Rashbat and other ones that say that 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 um um the Malas I was talking about is Nahol. He didn't come to to go and take them out, he was just fighting what I thought wanted and he pulled him over um pulled it over to Mishra Benu. That's Kenim Malayatizaka says that it means the Gamal. That anything that Baruch Hu does is with 
zusammen mit dem Mauch. Da ist auch noch ein Gänsch, da war es Ja, aber ich sage,